I see that in honor of President's Day, many took advantage of the short work week. A lot of New Yorkers grabbed the opportunity for a midwinter holiday out of the city. For myself, being a bit of an Abraham Lincoln dilettante, I was reminded of an old story concerning another Sunday about 150 years ago when President Lincoln was returning home from church and he was asked by a companion what he thought of the sermon. Mr. Lincoln responded that he thought the message was well prepared and thoughtfully constructed, but it lacked the most important ingredient. His companion inquired what that might be. And Lincoln responded, the preacher failed to ask us to do anything great. Well, this got me thinking about that word, great. We've heard a lot of it in recent years. And I got to wondering about its meaning. What exactly do we mean when we say we aspire to something great? Is it uh, interchangeable with, say, success, for instance? Could we interpose that word in Lincoln's remark? The preacher failed to ask us to be really successful. Well, I've heard the call to success, of course, over the span of my life. I heard it from my parents and from my schools and from the wider culture ad nauseum. Or does it mean notoriety or fame, like a movie star or, say, a reality television celebrity? Aspire to a great name and brand recognition. These definitions clearly don't square with the little vignette about Lincoln. Given the trajectory of his life commitments, we can be certain he didn't have in mind the amassing of a fortune or the fickle fame of celebrity. Lincoln was president during our nation's most perilous moment during the war we ironically call civil, our civil war. At a time of great distress, the call to do something great has particular poignancy, doesn't it? It's telling that Lincoln's comment pertains to what a preacher addressed during a church service and especially telling he was longing for the words himself the way the story is told. I'm thinking Lincoln himself desired to hear the challenge as in, Abraham, do something great. Do the harder thing. Do the right thing. The truest thing. He needed the support for the terrible sacrifice that lay ahead for him. You kind of feel that. Following this line of thinking takes us into the realm of virtuous character and notions of courage and sacrifice. He longed for a word that would challenge and stimulate a response within him, and to the extent he was looking for that in church, we surmise that it was a deeply, deeply soulful concern. 
this quality of brooding soulfulness, this desire to continually grow into greater character and to do the better thing, as he would artfully and famously phrase it, to listen to the better angels of our nature, defines in part the reason historians have rated him as our greatest president. Note how I use the word great there. Now it turns out the challenge Lincoln longed to hear could have been heard in Philadelphia on that very same Sunday where a younger contemporary preached. Phillips Brooks was an up-and-coming Episcopal preacher who was known for his ringing oratory. He was a staunch abolitionist. Brooks located the essential battle for soulful character in the hearts of individual women and men. The ideal life, he said, is in our blood and never will be still. Sad will be the day for any man when he becomes contented with the thoughts he is thinking and the deeds he is doing, where there is not forever beating at the doors of the soul some great desire to do something larger, which he knows that he was meant and made to do. For Brooks, one great desire to do something larger was putting an end to human slavery. That required changing the minds of over half the population of the United States. To see that skin color did not privilege one group over another, that slavery was antithetical to following the path Jesus blazed. We take it for granted now, given slavery's disappearance for the most part, but in his day, we needed, he needed to convince half, over half the population of the United States of America. No small task. I'm thinking we can't hear this kind of forceful rhetoric today very well. Sounds old-fashioned, for one thing. But mostly, it's hard to get it even in here. We've been so well marinated in the shallow noise of social media. We're so accustomed to small, puny language. But the same tradition that motivated people like Lincoln and Brooks is still found written in these walls. The same tradition that located the essential moral battleground in the hearts of individual women and men is alive and well in the scriptures we read here. The same clarion call for deep soul work can still pierce the cultural clutter if we allow ourselves to become silent and listen well. And that just seems so very much harder to do today, doesn't it? I was thinking just this morning, early morning as I was considering the day, how even for me, how much harder it is to hear words like these now than it did, say, 20 years ago.
It's an uphill battle. Listen again to Brooks. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for power equal to your tasks. Embedded within this is a call to take on the more important tasks, to name them and claim them, the tasks that flow from the same God to whom we're praying today, those tasks. Popular culture idolizes living easy lives requiring little struggle or sacrifice, moral or material, or radically successful lives built on fame or fortune. The goal our culture fashions for us, the mark of life really fulfilled, is either the adulation of our peers or at least substantial material prosperity or best of all both. Now there's lots to commend about success, of course, I'm all for it. I've wanted it myself. I've wanted it for my children. We should for certain maximize our various talents and abilities. Still, be clear, this is not on point with the deepest, greatest values. When was the last time, for instance, really, you heard a word like sacrifice used as a matter of some moral urgency? When was it powerfully mentored for you? My God, that is the way forward. To give over some part of myself for the greater good. When was the last time you saw that? Or heard it? Or felt it? I was thinking about this again this week. How bereft our culture is of this. I'm reminded of a father's lament in Kaim Potok's novel, The Chosen, who at the climax speaks to his very brilliant but heartless son, saying, a heart I need for a son, a soul I need for a son, compassion I want from my son, righteousness, mercy, strength to suffer and carry pain, that I want from my son, not a mind without a soul. The father is a rabbi steeped in biblical wisdom, and he knows something about true greatness, its source and its agency in the world. He knows about our sacred genetics, holding the potential for a greatness that reflects God's glory. Parents, if you're a parent or want to be a parent, what do you want for your children? Could you say something similar to that father, that you want a heart for a son, a soul for a daughter, compassion for a son, righteousness, mercy, strength to suffer and to carry pain? That I want for my children. Not a mind without a soul. And, and what do you mentor? What do any of us mentor? What do we want for ourselves, for our community and our world? What are we willing to sacrifice for the greater good? Page after page, our scriptures tell stories about people who are called to grow into larger versions of themselves. 
In some ways, that's the whole substance of the scripture. Noah was one of them, as the story is told, risking his ridicule and fortune. The Apostle Paul turning from persecutor to lover. Peter, the fisherman, the supposed friend who flatly denied he ever knew Jesus at the time of his greatest need, finally coming to his senses. Most crucially, we see this mentored in the life of the carpenter from Nazareth. On the first Sunday in Lent, today, we always read about the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he decides to step into his call. He strides to the Jordan River and receives a baptism of humility and solidarity. Immediately, he's driven out into the wilderness for 40 days. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's right after Jesus is told by the voice from God that he is the beloved. The text says, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. In other words, the Spirit was driving him into the wilderness, so he came to understand what it actually meant to follow after the pattern God had set before him. He had to sweat and struggle and figure it out and choose among the various options. After 40 days of hunger and thirst, he emerges the ordeal, having chosen the better way that ran counter to the world's patterns. Now, we have the advantage of knowing how the story turns out, how in a few years he'll face a brutal test and a horrible death. But I tell you, the whole of the gospel hangs on Jesus' initial choice right here. Right here. In the wilderness. In his struggle. In his willingness to grapple with the very seductive but ultimately lesser alternatives to the way of compassionate integrity. Here is where the die is cast. Here is his defining moment. Here is where he leaves his lesser, uncertain self behind and stretches forward into authentic greatness. He makes a clear choice. Now, we are not Jesus, of course. But he mentors the pattern for our own inward journey If you have ever wondered about the meaning of the 40 days of Lent, I mean the real meaning, here we have it clearly stated. Lent is a call into our greatness. Which is to say, it invites the self-examination that seeks the truth about ourselves and our actual situation listening for the better angels of our nature, listening for the higher calling, purging what holds us back, and accepting the power that is equal to the tasks to which we now know we have been assigned. For make no mistake, friends, you have been assigned great tasks.
It does not take great people to do great things. It only takes consecrated people. That is, people who have committed themselves to matters of the soul. Striving to love God above all things and our neighbors as ourselves counts us among their numbers. Do this, and you too are consecrated to do great things. Wow. You. Yes, you.